Welcome to the Money is Emotional podcast with Christine Lukin, the Financial Dignity Coach. In this podcast, we help you recover a positive and peaceful relationship with your personal finances. We do this by bringing together wise money management with emotional intelligence. Join us for this journey where we navigate our relationship with money as Christine Lucan draws from years of experience and guest experts to help you get to the root of your money issues. And welcome to the Money is Emotional podcast with your host, Christine Lucan. Christine, it's lovely to be with you again, but I, it's Every time we leave and before we come back together, I think about the idea of money being emotional. And boy, what an aptly named podcast. (laughs) Right. Well, before we got started, you asked me, like, is there a way for it not to be emotional? And I was like, "Mm, hate to tell you, but no. (laughs) 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 Is there like a way we can think about money that's that, 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 that maybe takes some of that power away or. Absolutely. We can. And actually we dove really deep into this. I want to say it was like episode two or three where we really dove into like, why money is so emotional and actually some pretty tangible things that we can do to at least dial the emotion back Mm. so that we can also hear the voice of reason along with our emotions. Oh, good. That's real. That is really important. So I am super excited about today's episode because we have a very special guest. Um, I am honored to welcome my friend, fellow financial coach and author, Emily Burnett. She is a self-professed former money mess who paid off $50,000 in debt in less than two years. And she is the author of the book, Dear Fellow Spender, Enjoy Using Your Money to Get Out of Debt, Build Savings, and Create a Life You Love. Welcome, Emily. Well, thank you so much. It's so fun to be on, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. Oh, me too. Well, you say that you're a former money mess, and Mm -hmm. I can totally relate because I have been there. You know, those uh, listeners who have been with us since the beginning, like you guys know my story of how I crashed and burned financially uh, in my 20s. But, you know, Emily, I'd love for you to tell us, like, what did life look like for you? when you were in that place in that money mess yeah absolutely and i'm i'm so happy to share this story truly because i think a lot of people can really relate to this i yeah. what life looked like for me it was a lot of shame honestly it yeah. was a lot of trying to do the right things and feeling like if they didn't work for me I must be bad with money or mm. that I I was this exception to the rules that seemed to work for everybody else. You know, I paid my bills. I was relatively responsible, but I just carried around a lot of shame and debt and impulse spending that felt good for two seconds or maybe, you know, if it was really good, two days. Right. And then I would think, did I just spend my rent money? I think I did, but I wouldn't know. So there was just a lot of honestly spinning 
And it felt like the only solution to my financial woes was more money. Mm. So to prove that out, I quit a stable job and went to the Bay Area and went through an immersive web development boot camp, which was one of the hardest things of my life. Mm. They're aptly named, I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, over it was, I think, 18 months that I doubled my income and I had more debt than ever. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I was living paycheck to paycheck. Yes, they were bigger paychecks, but I was living bigger paycheck to bigger paycheck Mm. and still feeling like I was bad with money and money couldn't work for me. And then I would, you know, I tighten the belt and I would say, okay, I'm not going to spend any money except Mm. for, you know, $57 a week on food, which is unreasonable. (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot of money. (laughs) I would set up these impossible to meet financial goals Mm. and I would be disciplined for a couple days. And then I would be invited to do something with friends or go on a trip. And I'd, yeah, what the heck, put that on the credit card and then deal with it later. And that the pile of problems to deal with later just got bigger and bigger. And my shame also got bigger and bigger. Yeah. Well, it kind of sounds like the way most people deal with food, right? It's like, (laughs) we we are completely out of control. And then we decide (laughs) I need to get my crap together. And then we punish ourselves for like a week. (laughs) And then we're like, well, this is ridiculous. I just can't live like this. No kidding. It's like, when have you ever lived without sugar successfully? You know, and we're like, that's it. I'm breaking up with sugar forever. And it lasts for a week. (laughs) Right. Yes. And I know, and you know that that sort of mentality doesn't work long-term when it comes to mm. our money. And I bet there's a lot of people listening as as you talked about that cycle that you were in, no mm. matter if they're making 50000 a year, 150000 a year, $500,000 a year, mm-hmm. they're like, I can relate. I can totally mm-hmm. relate. Mm-hmm. So what was your turning point? I mean, what made you decide that pardon my French, that you were finally ready to get your money shit together. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it, it started with a breakup, as lots of good things do. So I'd been dating this guy. And when he ended things after a few months, you know, I wasn't that heartbroken, honestly, about the breakup. Great guy. We had, you know, some fun times together. But it was it was my financial wake up call because he seemed to be able to afford the life I wanted to be able to live. Mm. And I actually have no idea if he was financially on top of his game. He could have been funding all of it with debt, but I assumed <laughs> that he was and I'm glad I assumed that he was financially on top of his life because again that allowed it to be my turning point. He could travel like he wanted to. He owned a home. He had a couple vehicles. He could buy all the outdoor gear he liked. And I was lamenting that, the discrepancy to my sister. And she Uh. said, well, how long would it take you to get out of debt and start being able to live more of the life you've imagined? And I thought, what a question. I had never, Mm. ever put it into quantifiable terms how soon or how how long it would take me to get out of debt 
And then the the other critical part is that I had never made that plan with mm. my actual spending, my actual cost of living. I assumed yeah. that in order to make that plan, I had to strip away everything I enjoyed and just make that plan with bare basics. And so no wonder those plans didn't work out. Right. <laughs> so when I started including those, the categories of spending that brought joy to my life and made my plan with those and saw that I could actually be debt-free of my $50,000 within, it was three and a half years that I projected, I was game on. Like I wasn't giving up everything I enjoyed in order to do this thing I really wanted to do. I was still able to include a lot of what I enjoyed. And the very cool thing, like you mentioned in the intro, is I did it in less than two. Yeah. But even the three and a half years felt really empowering because I'd been looking at a lifetime sentence of debt and just struggling to kind of get by. And so to do it in less than two was just an evidence of what happens when you get on purpose with your money at the root level. That's exactly what I was going to say. It sounds like the difference was intentionality. Mm -hmm. But I love what you said about you felt like your debt was like a life sentence because (laughs) I hear that from so many people. Mm. And the interesting thing is if you look at your credit card statements now, They will tell you, if you only pay the minimum due, this is how much interest you'll pay, and this is how long it will take you to pay it off. And a lot of people ignore that. But if you actually (laughs) look at it, it literally is a life sentence if you're not paying extra, especially if you're paying 17%, 19%, 24%. I mean, I've had clients you know, with credit cards as high as 29.9%. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they don't even realize how much of their monthly cash flow is going Mm. out to pay the interest until we start doing that thing called tracking. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And then all of a sudden they're like, well, what is this that's coming out? And I'm like... (laughs) That's $500 a month in finance charges. And they're like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, yes, this is why we're prioritizing getting this debt paid off. So you can spend that $500 on something else. There are so many things that are more fun to spend money on than finance charges. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Well, and I love that you reframe budgeting as the, quote, active cycle of organizing your money and planning Mm -hmm. your spending. So Mm -hmm. tell us why you love budgeting so much. (laughs) Happily. I love it. Well, most people don't ask me this question because (laughs) most people really don't like the word budgeting. (laughs) No. Well, you know, it's interesting The the episode right before this, I actually talked about the problem with budgets and Mm -hmm. the biggest problem is all the negative emotional baggage that we have attached to that word. Yes. And I, I lived with that for, it was in my early thirties that I, it was like, why has nobody ever described budgeting to me in this way that I'm now understanding it? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is 
maybe I was finally ready for the shift. And also that not a lot of spenders budget. <laughs> and, well, no. and so so the people <laughs> who are budgeting are the ones who are good with not math or numbers, but they're they lean more frugal. And right. so for them, it is almost um when they talk about it, there are shoulds. And that is such a terrible word for a spender. Yes. Because it's just take out everything you enjoy and and then you use your money to do all those other things you don't enjoy. So there's really mm-hmm. no incentive. Right. And so my biggest reframe of budgeting was something that I do with real money. And that that was something that clicked in my brain so well. So I had used spreadsheets before right. and I had, you know, I'd, I'd set my targets and mm-hmm. problem one was that I was delusional about what those targets needed to be for the fun things, especially. I was very accurate on the fixed expenses. But when it came to, yeah, when it came to eating out and clothes, I would suspend reality and think, I don't budget, quote unquote. I don't plan to spend money on clothes. That was something that just kind of happened. Mm. And so- planning to spend on the things that you really spend money on was mm-hmm. such a game changer. I still I don't remember the exact shirt, but I do remember that it was this pivotal moment in my life when I went to Nordstrom Rack and I had money like dollars in my checking account that were planned to spend on clothing yeah. and guilt-free buy a shirt not because it was on sale or because I was trying to justify something or compensate for a hard day, but because I wanted to shop and I had money planned for it that did not jeopardize any of my other plans. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was the best feeling in the world. And so the planning of money is, is such a microcosm of honestly, the planning we do with our time, you know, for, for professionals, most of us don't just wing a day and say, well, when stuff comes up, if somebody tells me I have a meeting, I'll go to it. We look ahead, we plan our time, how we want to use it. And, and then we follow that plan. And that's a lot of how I think about budgeting. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes that we think like being a spender or spending money is inherently like a bad thing and that Mm -hmm. saving is inherently like a virtuous thing it's Mm -hmm. not (laughs) it's not i mean Mm -hmm. i i like to tell people you know saving and spending is two sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. you know we're we're saving money to spend it later like the goal is not to die with a huge (laughs) pile of money in your checking account you know, we have to spend money. I mean, we are, you know, in order to live in today's society, we have to, you know, have a roof over our head. We have to pay for our utilities. We mm. have to have clothes. And so I think when we are planning and tracking our money, then it does give them, give us that freedom to spend guilt-free because we have said, we are going to spend $300 on clothes this month. So mm-hmm. as long 
as we are spending within that limit, then we can 100% enjoy it guilt-free. Absolutely. And, yeah, I, I and just, just love like how you put all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because people are like, oh, I, should, I feel guilty about spending any money at all. Right. But that's yeah, because I mean, they're not sure if they're spending their rent money or their retirement yeah. fund. <laughs> right, right. They haven't put it in context of their bigger life. And they're hoping that at some point they're going to have enough money, which what does that mean, mm-hmm. to then give themselves permission to spend on luxuries or things that they just enjoy. And what's magic about any any age at which you think that would be somehow acceptable to spend now versus plan to spend some of your money now? I, I love how you put that. Yeah. Well, I, and- the the whole thing of like, well, you know, I'm going to earn more money so I feel better about spending. I mean, I've got <laughs> clients that are making close to a million dollars a year and mm-hmm. they're like, I have exhausted myself trying mm-hmm. to out earn my spending. Yes. <laughs> and, and I've got to change my habits like I I have to start tracking this so I know where everything is going. Mm-hmm. So earning more income. I hate to tell you guys this. It's not the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd be curious to know because I have clients not making quite a million, but one of my early clients was spending three quarters of a million dollars a year and making, he was making more than that. So he could technically afford it, but he was, he was exhausted and, and I, I know for him, he he came to me because he wanted to have a feeling of control, that it, right. it all felt kind of out of control. And so I'm I'm curious how much of that you see and experience in, in your clients that are they trying to out-earn their spending and are they outspending life dissatisfaction? That that is something I I see. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes people are just like, well, I work so hard, so I should get to spend this money. Mm. Right. And Mm -hmm. so they're caught in that cycle of I spend money, I feel guilty. So I work harder so I can make more money. (laughs) But then I feel burnt out and I feel tired and I want to reward myself with spending money where it's like, can we please stop the insanity? Yeah. And Take a breather and like, let's figure out where, where it is all going. And many times it's like they're trying to row a boat with a thousand tiny holes mm-hmm. faster and harder. And mm-hmm. I'm like, can we just stop, take mm-hmm. the boat out of the water and start plugging some of these holes? Because mm-hmm. once we do that, all of a sudden, the progress you're going to make, you're going to be like, how did we come this far in six months? Yeah. Because we I- have figured out you know, where the holes are, where you're spending money on stuff that's not even important to you. Right. Oh, that resonates so much with, with what, what I see and, and honestly, what I lived, you know, yeah. I, I use the phrase occasionally in my business from spinning to winning mm. because yeah. that is so much of what you described is just spinning, trying to keep all the plates spinning mm. on your fingers and, you know, juggling them hoping that at some point you have enough money to do less spinning. But it it is such good news that you can start winning 
the minute you pause and look and start plugging holes. Like you said, I love that. Yeah. Well, and so many people are afraid to look. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Excuse me. Yes, you. Thank you so much for listening to the Money is Emotional podcast. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, you can find us at www.christinelukin.com and all of our social media platforms are listed in the show notes. And sometimes it's honestly not as bad as they think or we find something and they're like, oh my God, I didn't even know about that. And I'm like, yes, that's that's why it's important to look. <laughs> <laughs> so, I agree. you know, you cover plenty of practical actions in your book, Dear Fellow Spender, that people can take to be in control of their money. So what's maybe one or two of the most helpful things that you want to share with our fellow spenders who are listening right now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it it dovetails very nicely from what we were just talking about on what you just said, which is to look. It's it's kind of like in a relationship, if you don't spend a lot of time looking at the person you're in relationship with, if you're always looking at your phone, like you're not going to have a good relationship. Mm. And and what you don't look at can really, really grow in imagination. And so that that monster under the bed called money can mm-hmm. get so much bigger and scarier. Here is a really kind of silly example, but I was house sitting for family in Southern California. They live in a gorgeous but rural area. And there was one night that I heard, I kid you not, it sounded like fingernails tapping on a window. And I actually can't remember. It's a it's a fairly lame example because I can't remember now if I went out to see what it was. <laughs> but imagine that you don't, if you do not go look at the source of the sound, you you can't do anything about it. You can't make any decisions about it. You can't realize, oh, those fears are ungrounded. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you have the courage to look, like you said, often it's not as bad as you think. Right. And so so my my number one tip is to look at your money. And the number two thing is maybe a little less practical, but it is an important mindset shift. And that is to realize that money doesn't spend itself, <laughs> that you spend. And I don't mean that in a shameful way. I mean that in an empowering way that so many of my clients and those I speak with about money, they talk about money and spending as if it's this thing that happens to them. And that's a very disempowering thought Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I am the one choosing to spend this. I go to Costco, I go to Target and I buy such and such. And because until you have, until you make that shift, you will be a passenger on the bus and money does a really good job of spending itself. And then you start to feel helpless in your own financial life, which can bleed over to other aspects of your life. You feel reactive to life and to money happening to you and to emergencies and emergencies. There are air quotes around one of those. Right. (laughs) And that's just a really 
stressful way to live. So two tips would be to look and then to empower yourself as the person spending money that you you get to exercise control over your money and you can exercise happy control over how you choose to part with money. Yeah. Well, I like to say that, you know, you're the boss of mm-hmm. your money and mm-hmm. money wants to be managed, mm-hmm. you know, like it's going to be your best employee or your worst nightmare. You know, if mm-hmm. you're running a company and you have 20 employees working for you and you ignore them and you hide from them and you don't tell them what to do, you're going to be out of business, right? Those employees <laughs> are going to go find a good boss who <laughs> pays attention to them and yes. gives them direction. And that's what money wants from you. Absolutely. Yeah. It it doesn't, it, I share stories in my writing about, you know, when I, when I got on purpose with my money and I became the boss of my money, I would have unexpected I, uh, one one check I remember very vividly because I almost ripped it up and it was overpayment on an insurance premium. It was a hundred something dollars. I had raises come out of the woodwork. I mean, it honestly was as, as if money was waiting in the wings to yeah. come to a good home where it knew it would be appreciated and enjoyed and organized. And yeah. so, Yeah. I absolutely agree. Yeah. I tell people that all the time. I said, you know, like, and I think this is also one of the reasons why people come to coaches like you and I, Mm -hmm. because they, they are afraid to look, they want someone to look with them Mm -hmm. and to, to help guide them. But I tell them, I say, look, here, you know, here's all the benefits of coaching with me. Here's all the things that you can get out of this. And then I tell them, I never guarantee this, but I said it has happened with every single client who has stuck with me for the entire six months. There's going to be financial miracles that happen that mm-hmm. make no sense. And I said, it is because you are finally taking control mm-hmm. of your money and your money knows that it is now safe with you, that you Mm -hmm. are going to manage it well. I don't know how it's going to come. I don't know how much. And, you know, you might think it's some kind of coincidence, but I said, this literally happens with every single client who sticks with me through Mm. the six months of coaching. I mean, I've had people whose parents gave them gifts. People got huge tax refunds they weren't expecting. Um, You know, like they won free trips. Uh, (laughs) You know, they got uh, an unexpected job offer. Like they didn't even apply for a job, but, you know, a competitor actively recruited them and, you know, they got like a 30 or 40% raise. I just like, I I can only call them financial miracles. That's Mm -hmm. all I can call them. Mm. I love that. And, and as you're talking this came to mind that they are a financial miracle, but had they not become the boss of their money, they might have missed it. Yes. Because it would have just fallen through one of the holes. Yeah. Or or that unexpected boon would have immediately been used to put out a fire. And so I really do think that once once you start getting proactive with your money, I don't think I know. (laughs) 
that once yeah. you start getting proactive with your money and and really your life and what you want to be using your money for, mm-hmm. you are able to overnight feel wealthier in your own life. Yeah. And and recognize those financial miracles that just that just come because you're now ready to appreciate them and to really well just really appreciate them. Yeah. Yeah, so let's shift gears just a little bit and I want to talk about managing money as a single person. What are yeah. some of the challenges that women in particular might encounter? managing their personal finances solo. Oh, there's a long list. I'm I'm still single, so I'm in this camp and I would say trust is self-trust. Hmm. Trusting yourself with the things you choose to prioritize is is hard and I had to learn to trust and honor my spending preferences. Hmm. So I saw on the, I'm on some dating apps occasionally here and there, and then I quit (laughs) and then I get back on them at some point. (laughs) Anyway, there was a profile of a guy who I, you know, probably not my type of guy, but I really liked what he said in his profile. He said, I'm looking for someone to make mistakes with. Um, And I think that as I look at, especially happily married couples, Sometimes the things they jointly feel are a good decision, a good financial decision. I kind of question a little bit, <laughs> yeah. but but they are jointly agreed that that's how they want to spend their money. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have that other person who is sharing the possible consequences of the spending decisions, it's all on you. And yeah. I've come to really see that as a privilege. And and really an act of kind of honoring who I uniquely am. And one of the first examples of that was, I think it was 2020 when everybody was buying outdoor gear for obvious reasons. Right. <laughs> I, I wanted to buy, well, my brother and his wife had bought an RV because they wanted to do a lot more camping with their family. Yeah. And my first thought was, I want to buy an RV. I want to do more camping with my family of one. <laughs> and <laughs> and it was the kind of this shift of like, well, I could. And I yeah. don't have to. I could have that right now. I instead downgraded, but I would say upgraded my outdoor purchase to an e-bike, an e-mountain bike that allowed me to do so much more biking. And again, I I see some single women maybe hold back on really honoring their preferences and when it comes to larger, larger purchases. Mm-hmm. And they maybe counsel with a lot of different people and don't trust themselves, or they they put big spending decisions off that they might be financially able to make, but there's a little little bit of fear around doing it alone. And so, so those are some of the challenges, but also really, really big opportunities I see for, for single women in particular. Yeah. No, I love that. Well, Emily, it has been awesome having you, but we are running out of time here. So (laughs) do you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners today? Mm. 
Yeah, I would just invite listeners to manage their money like their life matters because their life does matter. Their unique life of dreams and hopes that they want to have in the future and also right now really, really matters. And to be intentional with money is to give yourself the opportunity to be intentional with life. And I just want to share my own experience as a former money mess and I remain a spender. I still like nice things uh, just to let them know how enjoyable it can be to, to manage proactively your money. And there's, they can throw the budget word out forever or just reframe it like we've talked about in this conversation as, as a real gift they can give to not only their future, because that's sometimes what gets the most focus, but their current situation right now. I, I use the phrase, an oasis of control. And that is what you can give yourself as you get proactive with taking care of the roots of your money. And I just can't wait to see what they do as as they get on purpose with money. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for being here. It was wonderful to hear your inspiring story and your positive reframe of budgeting as a way to take back our financial mm-hmm. power. So what is the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for for having the conversation. It's really, really great to talk with you and share a message with your listeners. And I can be found at my website, which is Moso Money, M-O-S-O, and we all know how to spell money.com. I'm also mostly active on LinkedIn. I'm just there under my personal name, Emily Burnett, and I'm on Instagram at Moso underscore money. And I'd love to to hear from anybody interested. Awesome. Well, we've got all your links in the show notes, including the link to your book on Amazon as well. So awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> you are welcome. And you know, I I Emily, I want to thank you because uh since I've been doing this podcast, nobody's written a book to me. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is a very personal book and I we've never met. Thank you very yeah. much. Well, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate that. You know, one of the things I, I think that it's interesting, that, and if this was true in the budgeting episode as well, there is something interesting about taking a hold of money because suddenly money becomes, and as the two of you were just talking about, money becomes a liberating force, not a constraining force. Mm. Yeah, that's so, beautifully put. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was actually just at the conference just talking with a, a co-ed group about this term spender. And, you know, I think women will label themselves as a spender. And, <laughs> and but it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. And the, the guy in the group was saying that um, he doesn't consider himself a spender because he, you know, he'll look at people getting Starbucks every day. He's like, do you know how much that is? It's five bucks a day. And then he drops, you know, two grand on a conference or this other guy had just bought a water heater, not because his other, his old one was broken, but this one was nicer, you know? (laughs) So small, big purchases. We all, we all spend and we all all do. Yeah. And we all, I mean, I still have categories. Mm, Well, fewer and fewer that I feel guilty about. And that's largely because again, I just, 
I've started that liberating force. Maybe I don't want to part with money on that type of spending because I want something else more. So, yeah, no, I I, I totally understand it. And I mean, it's something Christine talks about all Mm -hmm. the time. You don't want to make a bunch of money so that you have a pile of money. You want to make a bunch of money so that you can do good things or enjoyable things with that Mm -hmm. money. That's Mm -hmm. the point of money. That's what gives money its value. Yeah, exactly. Somehow we've kind of lost that as a society. It's like a race to the top. And then what? Yeah, right. all you are is stressed and in debt, and yeah, yeah. yeah. The last thing hours. I want the the last thing, mind you, I'd love to have a billion dollars. Okay, so don't, don't <laughs> misinterpret this comment. But I don't want to die in my tombstone to say he died with a billion dollars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, thank you very much for the conversation, Christine. As always, thank you for for bringing us an interesting conversation and fascinating guest uh for anybody who's listening who might want to get a hold of you they know how to get old emily at this point how do they reach out and get a hold of you yeah the best way to do that is on my website which is my name christinelukin.com i'm very active on linkedin facebook and instagram so just reach out and uh we'll chat Yes, and go back and listen to some of these past episodes that Christine has put out there. They're truly interesting. And if you're not a subscriber, subscribe. It's really easy. Just hit the button. It's much easier than trying to get a hold of your money. Hit subscribe. That way you don't ever miss an episode. And when it comes out, you'll be notified and you can listen. If you like it, we'd humbly ask that you rate it and share it with others and help spread the word about the podcast. I'm Bill Tucker. On behalf of Christine Lucan. Thank you so much for listening. And here's a simple reminder. Don't wait to live your best life. Live it today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Money is Emotional podcast. To get in touch, visit our website at www.christinelucan.com or drop us a line at hello at christinelucan.com. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Christine Lucan. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of your advisor, tax professional, or other qualified financial professional with any questions you may have regarding your personal finances.